0: This is Positive Parenting, parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Bratt. Welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Bratt, the founder of MrDad.com. So glad you're here with us. The word toddler is derived from how the child looks when he or she first enters this time, just toddling away. It all starts so adorably, doesn't it? Many parents are excited when their kid starts toddling because walking seems to mark an end of babyhood and the beginning of the exciting kid years. And those parents are right. It is exciting to see your little blob of a baby slowly start to become a real live person. But just as you are celebrating your survival of baby days by getting rid of all that breastfeeding stuff and pacifiers, your sweet little child is quietly becoming possessed by the devil. Or, as some people like to call it, becoming a real live person. Oops, looks like you may have forgotten that sometimes real live people are not so great after all. You really should have taken that into greater consideration before you went out and acquired one of your own. While this baby of yours spent the first months clinging to you with every tiny fiber of might, the toddler years are the beginning of a decades-long journey to independence. This can be hard on both children and parents because it marks such a change in the overall dynamic. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking with the author of a great new book on toddlers, and she's got all sorts of advice for parents of those newly minted little bipeds that we call toddlers. I'm Armand Braun. We'll jump right into toddlerhood and everything else when Positive Parenting continues right after this.
1: Careful at the party, hon. Remember what we talked about? I know, Mom. No alcohol, right? Yeah, I
0: know.
2: Honey, seriously, I know you're in high school now, but you're still too young to drink, and you're still my daughter. I don't want anything happening to you.
0: I know. I know. Really?
2: Drinking is different with kids. You're still growing. You're still developing. It messes with
0: your judgment. I know. Teenagers know everything, so talk about underage drinking before they know it all, before they're teens. And you could do things
2: that, honey, trust me, if you drink, you could do things you don't really want to do that I don't want you to do.
0: Yeah, Mom. I know.
2: Listen, I'm just trying to protect you, all right? If you're a grown woman, it's different, but you're not.
0: I know, okay? I know. Start talking before they start drinking. And keep talking. To learn more about the dangers of underage drinking and what to say to your kids, go to StopAlcoholAbuse.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Dawn Dayas, who's the author of The Stuff No One Tells You About Toddlers, A Guide to Surviving the Toddler Years. Now, I just said the stuff, and it's not actually stuff. It's spelled S-H exclamation point T. You can figure out how to say that. We're not allowed to say things like that in the air. Anyway, Dawn, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about this. This is your, your second book, right? And it it sort of was something that came out of your blogging experience. Talk about how this happened to come about in the first place.
3: Well, basically, I had written a couple other books previously. One was about training for a marathon, and one was about training for a century ride, which is a 100-mile bike ride. And so I kind of like to write about ridiculously challenging tasks. And then I had kids, and I realized that um, the physical tasks that I had taken on were nothing compared to these Children of mine, and um, I just kept thinking. Just before I even started writing, that no one told me so much stuff that was going to happen. I, you know, you get a lot of, oh my gosh, so exciting, so exciting, so exciting! Oh, I'm so happy for you. All the friends that have kids, and I think they really just want you to have kids so you'll be in the same boat as them, and they don't really warn you. And so I kept thinking, why did anybody tell me any of this? And I, I went to my publisher and I said I'd like to write a book, and this is the title. And this is the title that it needs to be, and um, you can kind of figure out where we're going to go from there. So that's kind of how it started, and then the kids just keep giving me more and more content, so I'll keep <laughs> writing books.
0: <laughs> well, so let's let's talk about toddlers, since that's what the, this particular book is about. What what is you know the most difficult part of it?
3: Well, like for instance, right before I got on the phone with you, my son handed me a shoe. And was screaming for about 30 minutes that he needed help. And I tried in every way possible to help him with the shoe, to put it on, to take it off. He needed me to work with the Velcro thing. He said, put the straps down. So I put the straps down in every way a strap could go down. And it's so frustrating because he's having what would appear to be a mental break. And he's just screaming at the top of his lungs because whatever I'm doing is wrong. And I'm starting to think that nothing I can do is going to be right. And I just, at this point, because he's my second and he's been doing this for a while, I'm just kind of calm and smiling about it because if any other human were to walk up to you and engage with you in that way, you would probably call authorities on them, but you would also, (laughs) you know, just like slowly walk away and never want to engage with them again. So it's just, there's something wrong with their brain and you can't, you can't interact with them in any way that is normal or like I always said in my book that there's stages of having your baby, and the first one is your baby comes out, and it's a blob. The second one is just a smiling blob, and then it becomes a monkey, and, you know, monkeys, they just kind of like to smile and put things on their heads, and then it becomes an angry monkey, and my, my toddler's in the angry monkey stage where it's like I have to kind of think about it like that because... You're like, what's wrong with you? Like, no human should act like this. But then I go, okay, he's an angry monkey, and <laughs> you just kind of have to treat yeah. him accordingly.
0: Well, so yeah, you may, of- it's an interesting point about if you bumped into somebody on the street or something like that who who behaved that way. But if, you, if you're if you accosted by somebody on the street who's screaming at the top of his lungs, you're not going to say, boy, I'm a really bad person. But <laughs> if you're accosted by a toddler who's screaming at the top of his lungs and that goes on for a while, it's— tempting, and, and I think a lot of people fall into it, I certainly have, uh, It's uh, to say I'm, I'm really doing a rotten job of this parenting thing, otherwise this kid would, would just be calm and sweet and, and lovely.
3: Yeah, and a lot of times it can switch overnight before, like previously you had a kid that was calm and sweet and lovely, and then you're like oh, what what happened? Where did my child go? Because now you're screaming at the top of your lungs for no apparent reason, you know, and it, it's it's startling when that hits you, you know, when that stage hits you because you're like, what happened? What did I do wrong? Is there something? I took my kid to the doctor, and I was like, did he fall? Is, is something going on with his brain? And she's like, no, he's a toddler. And I'm like, oh, that's unfortunate. You know, that's, that's, that's just what it is. It's just a stage.
0: Speaking of stages, walking is one of those things. And I remember people questioning sometimes where bruises had come from on my kids, when they were very, very little, and walking into things or having things drop on them. What do you tell people who really I, know the answer, but they're just asking anyway?
3: A lot of people wouldn't ask. Like, people that knew the answer would ask, and some people would just kind of invert their eyes. Like, I started telling checkout girls, I'd be like, that, yeah, look at his bruises, look at his bruises, look at them. Because, like, I figured if I were beating him, I wouldn't be pointing them out. You know, like, <laughs> his head just had a permanent bruise in the center of his forehead for, you know, his, for a year. It was just a permanent bruise. Every day there would be, he'd fall again and again and again. And he had this big old head, so he couldn't control that head, and it would hit our hardwood floors again and again and again. So I'd always just pointed out. Look at, oh, here's his bruise of the day. here. it. Because I want to make sure that you don't think I'm trying to hide it in any way. And it is funny when you... You can always tell the people who have kids and the people who don't, because the people who have kids just kind of laugh, and they 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 make you feel good, because they're like, oh, yeah, my kid, oh, yeah, da, 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 and the people that don't have kids are like, uh-huh, yeah, I would never let that happen, you know, and it just, it's hard. It's hard to to take them out in the world and, and feel like you, you, they look like you've been abusing them, and you haven't, so...
0: And one of the hardest things, I think, about having a toddler, besides the kinds of things we've been talking about, the screaming and yelling and, and completely irrational stuff that that they go through when they're little, is that sometimes we have to take that show on the road. And they're not particularly squeamish about performing in front of other people. It seems like they sometimes appreciate a crowd. And, and that is, I think, one of the, the most ego undermining or confidence undermining kinds of things is it's bad enough to deal with it at home. But... When they start putting on their show in the middle of the produce aisle at the grocery store, that's a different thing.
3: Yeah, and you kind of have to—I think more or less it's about you building up your tolerance for being embarrassed because, like at home, you can just say, okay, go over in the corner and have your nervous breakdown. You come check in with me when you're ready to be a human again. But at the store, it's hard to do that because you can't really just leave your kid in the produce aisle. That's frowned upon. So— You have to try to figure out, okay, am I going to leave the store, which some people do, that I'm leaving this store even though my my cart is full, because I'm going to teach a child a lesson that will leave when you throw a tantrum, or you just, you know, power through, and a lot of times it depends on how full your cart is, and if you really need that milk, and you just have to get through, and I found that my tolerance has just kind of gotten greater, where he has to be doing pretty bad before... I'm like, okay, I have to get out of this store because I'm sorry, I need to get this milk and I need I need to get out of here. The worst for me is restaurants because at least the store you can keep moving, so the same people aren't having to be exposed to the crazy the entire time you're there. Yeah, but the restaurants are always—you just never quite know what's going to happen, you know. And people say you won't want to go out to eat, and I just break out and hide because I'm like, I. <laughs> Not going to be a fun experience, you know. It used to be before kids. You want to go out to eat? Yes, that sounds amazing. Let's go have someone cook for us. But like now, you want to go out to eat, and I'm like, I am I going to even get to my meal? Is am I going to have to immediately ask for to go box? Am I going to be standing outside holding a child the entire time trying to talk yeah. some sense to him? You know? And sure. It's difficult, and there's no one way that it works every time. That's the greatest part about kids. You're like, well, it worked this time. Like, it, I did this yeah. this time. Good luck. Next time, you're like, why isn't this working? It worked perfectly last time. He just threw my phone across the room. The phone soothed him last time, you know?
0: And, <laughs> yeah. There's no logic. That's how no, it there, is. there isn't. I, think I was thinking, as, as you're saying this, that the. There's kind of a double-edged sword to this whole thing about having a high tolerance for this sort of behavior. Because I remember sitting on an airplane with somebody, well, with a whole bunch of people, but there happened to be a woman sitting next to me with a baby who was all very cute and everything for a while and then started howling when we were, uh, no, I don't know where we were. We were just somewhere in the air, I guess. I don't even know exactly what was going on. The kid starts howling, and the woman's got a pacifier in her hand, and she won't give it to the kid. And I, th- I said, Aww. I said, you know, why, why don't you give him the pacifier? She says, Well, we're we're trying to break him of the habit. And <laughs> so, you know, it's like would you break him of the habit on your own time somewhere else? <laughs> not <the> moment. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like you know, she had ca- kind of turned the whole howling and screaming about wanting a pacifier, in you know, it was background noise to her, but it was <laughs> quite a problem for everybody else.
3: I, I, that's why I say that like taking him to restaurants is hard because I am, I do not allow screaming in restaurants because that's just not polite to the other people there. Stores are a little different because I can like run through a store. Nobody's there to enjoy themselves or picking up bread and they're moving on with their lives. But um, restaurants are hard because, I mean, I always say that you're building a whole human here. Like I'm building a a person, and so I have to teach them how to sit in a restaurant like a person. And so I can't tolerate behavior that, isn't going to be allowed when they become a person. So, you know, there's a lot of taking outside. Sometimes oh, yeah. we take them outside 384 times to have a talk, you know. Oh, yeah, I'll be good. I'd be good. <laughs> so, you know, it's just me not being good. So I remember a couple of days ago I took my boy to a restaurant, like not a restaurant, That's a, a bit of an oversell for what it was because I don't like to take him in nice places, but, you know, to the lunch. And, you I gave him my phone and we we're waiting. He's actually able to play with games now. So that's nice because he wasn't able to do that for a long time without getting frustrated with his inability and he throwed throw it across the room. But he can play a few games now, which is horrible, and I'm not supposed to do that. Screen time is horrible and it's melting his brain. But it melts my brain when he's screaming his face off in a restaurant. So I told my mom, I'm like, I gave him my phone and we made it through the whole meal because he was so calm with my phone and I feel horrible because that's a horrible thing to do. <laughs> and she's like... Did you just say he was calm through a whole meal? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, who cares? <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. You made it through a whole meal. It's great. I'm like, yeah. And in my mind, I'm thinking he's going to have to have a phone until he's 34 in order to make it through a meal. But sometimes you just have to do what you have to do to get through that four minutes, you know?
0: Talking to Dawn Deas, who's the author of The Stuff No One Tells You About Toddlers, A Guide to Surviving the Toddler Years. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Dawn.
1: People have all kinds of excuses for not saving energy. I'll turn it off later. So we don't have those Energy Star appliances. Well, Maybe it's time to stop making excuses and save the energy and resources we can. You just never know what people will need in the future.
0: We can all help save more energy for tomorrow. What's your excuse? For more energy-saving tips that also save money, visit loseyourexcuse.gov parents. This message is brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy, the Ad Council, and this station. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Don Deas, who's the author of The Stuff No One Tells You About Toddlers with Stuff Being Spelled SH exclamation point T. Wanna talk about screen time somewhat. And and I'm very aware of the American Academy of Pediatrics and saying absolutely zero screen time for kids under two years old. And I, I think that's a, a, a really wonderful recommendation that has absolutely no basis in reality. I mean, I'm not suggesting you put your kid in front of a TV all the time, but it's like it it has a tendency to make people feel really guilty about, okay, look, I'm going to have you watch a video for five minutes while I take a shower or something like that. Um, What do you think about that, the the pressures that we feel from people who make pronouncements who either don't have kids or are just (laughs) not bright?
3: Well, I think... I think a lot of times recommendations are meant, they they kind of go overboard so that you don't go overboard, maybe. Like, so they tell you to not watch it at all. So when you watch a little, you feel bad, but you would feel horrible if you let them watch a lot or something. I There's there's no way that I would be able to parent without the television. I mean, I guess there is a way, there's always a way. I just don't think that it would be... a a very peaceful environment. And maybe if my kids didn't know that that TV existed, then I'd be okay. But it's so nice, especially with two of them, when they're just both not on a good day, to just turn on the TV for 30 minutes and let them just kind of relax, you know? And some people, a lot of people say they're not supposed to watch TV before bed because it's, it's not good for their little brains to help them wind down. And for my kids, it actually helps them wind down because if I don't have the TV on, they're running around. You know, they just took their bath, they're running around, they're excited, they're playing together. And so I turn on the TV for 30 minutes, and they sit down, they relax, and it actually calms them down to go to bed. So, you know, I I definitely think that your kids shouldn't be in front of a TV or on an iPad the entire day. But oh. I, I yeah. think there's a time and a place for it, for sure.
0: Absolutely, yeah. No, you talked
3: a lot of things that recommendation they just end up making you feel just so horrible about yourself, you know, where I'm like, oh, I let my kids play for 15 minutes on my phone, and it, it helps me calm them down, and I feel like that's, you know, I'm using it as a crutch, which I am, but sometimes you need a crutch just to get through the day, you know?
0: Absolutely, yeah. So you talk about feeding toddlers, and one of the chapter titles is Toddlers Don't Eat, Don't Even Bother Trying to Feed Them, and i like... I mean, you, I read this and I think, well, yeah, yeah, this happened, this happened, this happened. That's all very familiar sounding. You know, my my kids at various points, I think all of them went through just the white food group for yeah. a couple of years. That was it. If it if it had any color on it, it wasn't going to happen. And you know, everybody's thinking, oh, it's going to stunt their growth. And for a while, one of them, like she was fifty pounds for probably three years, and. The two older ones are 5'7 or 5'8 or something, and the little one who's not so little is 5'5, five, five, and she's only 12. Uh, so yeah, how do you come to, to grips with the idea that the kids are going to go through this, and it, think, it probably won't hurt them?
3: I think so much of toddler years are about just kind of trying to get through stuff with as little fighting as possible because I think a big part of what they're going through is this overwhelming need for independence. Like they, my boy, like now he'll see something, he wants me to, he wants it. So I go and I get it just instinctively. I go and I get it, I hand, hand it to him and he takes it, puts it back where I put it and he grabs it. And that's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to do every single thing. It's going to take him longer to do it. He's probably not going to do it right, which is why his shirt's on inside out and backwards half the time but he wants to do it and so I let him do it and to an extent obviously but with food I find that can be a huge issue of contention with kids because you want them to eat what you want them to eat and oh my gosh if they don't eat this broccoli they're going to grow up and never eat broccoli and they're going to just live on McDonald's their whole life you know like but the odds are that's not going to happen so I don't want food our mealtime to be this power struggle because it just becomes miserable the whole family's miserable because we're you know trying to force something into this child he's like I don't even know if I like that but because you want me to like it I'm not going to like it and that's just sort of my general mantra for the next two to four years you know so I find that you know what if they'll eat give them what they'll eat and, and kind of just go with it. like I, I don't even make my kids like a lot of people do that eat three more bites of that and two more bites of that and then you can get up. My girl, like when she's hungry, she eats. When she's not, she eats like two bites of something and she's like, I'm done. And guess what? When I'm hungry, I eat and when I'm not hungry, I don't eat a lot. So like I, I'm not gonna make her eat if she's not hungry, you know. And so it just I try not to make it into this huge, power struggle where I'm holding them down and shoving broccoli in their face, basically. You know, because yeah. it comes around. I was a really picky eater when I was a kid, and now I'll try anything, you know? So I don't think it's going to stunt them in any way or make them no, into no. people that only eat right. white bread when they grow up, you know?
0: You know, I'm wondering about your take on excuse me, about having kids again, because the, the toddler years, so they're two roughly, that's when a lot of people start thinking about or they start having their second or subsequent kids and I I remember thinking about this like why a woman would ever want to have a second child after having a really horrible labor with the first one well you sort of forget about it but with the toddler years they stick with you a little bit more than than labor pain I think at least being from uh, looking at it from the outside but you think why would you want to do this you've got this this child who's being a beast you're going to want to do it again?
3: Yeah I think um I got pregnant again when my first was I think around 18 months before she really kicked into toddlerhood and I was pregnant when she was kicking into toddlerhood which was just a combination of so many great things of being sick and dealing with the toddler and it was just amazing all around but um I always wanted my kid to have a sibling I was an only child and I really wanted my kid to have a sibling and I I'm glad I did but (laughs) I think that for me, I knew if I kept getting letting her get older and older and older, the, I was gonna have less and less of a chance to get pregnant or like really want to get pregnant again and do and start this all over. Because as difficult as toddlers are, they are getting towards something. They're they're functioning a little bit better. They're able to speak, which is so nice. Even though my kid is a disaster, he can he can articulate why why something hurts or where something hurts, and that's that's so nice. And so. Yeah. To me, babies are really, really hard because they're just so much unknown, and it's so scary, so much of it's so, they're just this little thing in your hand, and you're like, oh, I don't know why you're crying. Do you even know, Does anyone know why you're crying? And so to me, I knew, okay, if this kid keeps getting older and older and older and easier and easier and easier, and easier then I'm not going to want to start over. So I'm like, let's just go. Let's do it again. Let's go. But <laughs>
0: yeah. A lot yeah.
3: of people... Just keep doing it and I don't understand like I like I have two and I I can't even comprehend having three, four or five. But I mean people that have three probably can't comprehend four, people that have four probably can't comprehend five, you know, it's just you right. have what you have and you deal with what you deal with, but oh my gosh, they're just there are so much work. It's crazy. You no,
0: know, I I teach classes for expectant fathers and One of the things that I talk to them is about how your baby is going to cry one of these days and will not stop crying, and will just going to get worse and worse and worse, and you're going to have this thought about wanting to throw your child out a window. And they all sort of look at me horrified, and, and my response to that has been generally, well, if anybody tells you that they haven't thought about throwing their kid out a window, they're either lying to you or they don't have children. Those are the only two possibilities. And, you know, wh- what do you tell people about the, the fact that you're going to be dealing with really violent thoughts and that it's okay?
3: I think that's one of the biggest things that people don't talk about with babies, babies and toddlers. There's different emotions be- for each. Babies, a lot of it is just exhaustion and, you know, hormones for women and, and men. Like, there's just a lot of, oh, my God, what's happening, especially for your first baby, that you just you're so overwhelmed and confused. And that can definitely manifest into these thoughts of, like, I want to hurt this child. And a lot of that, a lot of the baby thing is just exhaustion, and I'm at my wit's end. And the toddler one's a whole different thing because you have a little person. Like, I was on vacation with someone recently, and his daughter, he went up to get her because she was in trouble. And he, she just took a swing at him and just clocked him in the lip. And he's like, I grew up in a family of, like, seven kids, and no one has ever made my lip bleed like that. No one's ever clocked me in the lip and made my lip bleed like that. And when any person comes up and just smacks you in the face, your instinct is not to just be like, okay, let's talk this through. Your instinct is to smack them back. And so you have to stop yourself because you're an adult and you're a parent, and you have to breathe through that. And no one talks about the instinct you get hurt these kids back. And having to deal with that, and I think it needs to be discussed
0: a lot more. I've been talking to Dawn Dayas, who's the author of The Stuff No One Tells You About Toddlers, A Guide to Surviving the Toddler Years. Dawn, thanks so much for joining us. Great to have you. Great stories. Thanks for having Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armand Broad. Hey, let's talk toys. We often think of the first few years of childhood as a time of total dependence on dad or mom or anyone else who's willing to change a few diapers and clean up vomit. But while that's true, those early years are also a time when kids start hurtling towards independence, trying to do everything on their own, whether it's crawling or walking or eating or reading or using a big kid toilet or anything else. This week, we're going to take a look at a number of toys that little ones will want to do on their own. Now, you may need to be around to help or explain a few things, but even the smallest humans need a little me time sometimes. Stickbots from Zing. Got a budding animator in your home? If so, this is definitely for you, as long as your child is old enough not to put small things in his or her mouth. The idea is pretty simple kids can pose the cute little plastic figures and use the free stickbot apps, which are only available for iOS or Android, to create their very own stop-action movies. Suction cups, where hands and feet would be, allow the stickbots to do all sorts of neat tricks. The bots themselves don't always hold their posed position, and the app can sometimes be confusing for very little kids. But overall. It's a really fun way to bring out your child's creativity. It's for ages 4 and up. It costs about 10 bucks for a kit with two bots and a tripod. Sleeper Hero from Sleeper Hero. When kids are little, bedtime can be tough on everyone. Kids may be afraid of the dark or of being alone and you may be afraid and then angry that you'll be up all night dealing with them. Sleeper Hero is a doll book combination that's aimed at eliminating some of that nighttime tension. The book is about a child who has trouble falling asleep in his own bed but is befriended by Sleeper Hero, who's there to comfort the child and banish the bad guys and monsters who are hiding under the bed. For the parents, the doll has a light on his chest that glows red when it's time for the child to stay in bed and changes to green when it's okay to run around and wake everyone up. Naturally, you can set both of those times. It's for ages 3 and up, costs about $49, and you can get information at sleeperhero.com trobo if you're completely opposed to exposing young children to technology you're really out of luck with this one but if you agree that technology can be wonderful in moderation and with an adult around you'll love trobo this friendly plush toy pairs with an ipad or an iphone and tells stories to your child the stories subtly expose toddlers to science and technology concepts and by incorporating your child's name and a cartoon avatar here she actually becomes part of the story and stays interested, which hopefully builds a love of learning. Trobo isn't quite out yet, but he'll be available just in time for the holidays. You can pre-order it at HereComesTrobo.com. Double-sided crib toy and hide-and-seek mobiles, both of these are from Tiny Love. The crib toy attaches to the inside of your baby's crib and lets your baby pound and bang, poke and twist five colorful elements that produce a variety of sounds and effects. Flip it over, and it switches to nighttime mode with softly twinkling lights and soothing music. This mobile is not your father's or even your own mobile. Sure, it has adorable animals that gently go round and round accompanied by music, but these figures also play hide-and-seek with your baby. Sometimes they're hiding behind something that looks like a leaf, sometimes not mobile also gives your baby some control over the music. It's for zero to 24 months, and prices vary all over the place, but you can get information at tinylove.com. We'll be back next week with a new Parents at Place segment or an Ask Mr. Dad segment. But don't go quite yet, because there's a lot more positive parenting coming right up. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brought after this from the MrDad.com radio network.
1: Hands can do incredible things. This is the sound of 326 hands playing Mozart. This is the sound of 10,942 hands showing appreciation. 64 hands building a house for the homeless. 142 hands swimming a triathlon. 18 hands winning the big game. And this is the sound of two hands helping to save a life. It's called Hands Only CPR, and it's recommended by the American Heart Association. If an adult suddenly collapses, call 911, then push hard and fast in the center of their chest until help arrives. It's incredibly easy and effective. Hands can do incredible things. But nothing compares to using them to help save a life. Find out more about this latest method of CPR at handsonlycpr.org. A message from the American Heart Association and the Ad Council.
0: Now, get ready for more positive parenting with Armin Brott from the MrDad.com radio network. Hey there, I'm Armin Brot, the founder of MrDad.com, and I want to thank you very much for staying with us for the second part of today's Positive Parenting Show. Hey, you remember that time you lay in the grass and rolled down a hill, the sky spinning over your head and the smell of wet mulch in your nose, laughing out loud when you crashed into your best friend at the bottom of the hill? Or that time when you built a castle out of a cardboard box with a maze of rooms and corridors that were inhabited by wizards and elves? Or Do you remember when you cuddled that beloved soft stuffed bear surrounded by a forest of pillows and cushions whispering secrets in your bear's fuzzy little ears? Well, you may not have those exact memories or these exact play experiences, but you probably remember something very similar. As parents, we often use our own memories of childhood play as a sort of rubric for measuring our children's experiences. Parents often wonder whether play today is different from what we enjoyed as children. We sometimes don't even recognize play in our kids' behavior, especially when they're using tools and toys and materials such as iPads that we never had. The good news is that play is still play. It may look a little different, but it really hasn't changed all that much. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking with an early childhood educator and play expert about what play is really how we can get more of it into our lives and our children's lives. I'm Armand Brot. We'll start talking about play and everything else around it when Positive Parenting continues right after this.
3: you must be your fairy godmother
1: (laughs) yes it doesn't take a fairy godmother to tell you that the right fit means everything good
3: heavens child you can't go
1: in that children under four foot nine need to be in a booster seat because they aren't ready for adult safety belts alone remember that four foot nine is the magic number and get your little pumpkin there safely in a (laughs) booster seat oh thank you for more information visit boosterseat.gov this has been a message from the u.s department of transportation and the ad council
0: Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Ann Gadzikowski, who is the author of Creating a Beautiful Mess, Ten Essential Play Experiences for a Joyous Childhood. Anne, thanks very much for joining us. Great to have you.
2: Hi. Thanks for having me.
0: In some ways, I mean, this, this will sound like a, kind of an odd question, but why do we have to have books that teach us how to tell kids how to play. I mean, it seems like in so many ways, like kids just instinctively know how to do stuff.
1: But I, do. I understand
0: why you have, why we need the book, but I'm just sort of a devil's advocate kind of question. Why, why have, you know, what, what does that say about our society in a way that we have to teach <laughs> kids how to play?
2: Well, I think that the children will teach us how to play. And that's one of the messages of the book is to remind parents that play is natural, that even though play looks a little different now, the tools, the toys that children used to play are a little bit different now than when we were children, um, play is still play, children are still children, and, uh, you know, they will teach us how to play. So the book is reassuring parents, is reminding parents of the play that they enjoyed when they were children. It's a very hopeful book. It's not a parenting book that warns parents about all the things that are going to go wrong. It's, it reassures parents that there's so much joy. Um, in play in the times that we spend with our children.
0: Now, just a couple of weeks ago, I did a newspaper column, which I do every week, and this particular one had to do with with blocks. So the the question that I got was, what's the best tablet to get for our kids? And my response was, you know, the best tablet is no tablet at all right now, <laughs> and get yourself a, a nice set of blocks. And that is is so, I think, so important. To, to do that, I mean, playing with tablets, you're not able to actually pick something up and get the hand eye coordination and stuff. But blocks just seem so low tech, and I think they don't make it into a lot of playrooms anymore.
2: That's true. That's true. When I was starting in my uh, teaching career 25 years ago, it was still fairly common to see a block corner in a kindergarten classroom with a good set of solid wooden blocks. And you don't see that very much in kindergarten. You might still see it in preschool, but it's pretty rare now in kindergarten. And I would argue that kids need these experiences all the way up through first, second, third grade. There's something about wooden blocks that's very different from playing with plastic toys or playing with Legos that lock together. When you're constructing things with wooden blocks, you are having these kinesthetic experiences with, really with math and geometry. You're learning about the ways different shapes fit together to make other shapes. You're learning about physics. You're learning about gravity. You're learning about when you build it up to a certain height, if you don't have a foundation, it's going to fall over. And those are things that you can't learn from um, you know, toys that lock together, and those are things that you can't learn from using a tablet or building something in a virtual space.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And so what what do you tell parents or and besides what you just <laughs> said? I mean, how do you yeah. what what's the, so you, you, give us a reason besides that? Okay, yeah, I understand that, that all that stuff, but who really needs to know about math and physics and stuff like that when you're 3 years old? So well, why? Why should I do this?
2: Well, I can give you a couple additional practical reasons besides what the children are going to learn from it. One is a good set of wooden blocks that you get when your child is a toddler will last you for a long time. They will, they will grow with the child. The child will build more and more complex structures as they get older. They'll combine other toys with the blocks as they get older. So it's it's a nice purchase to make. Also, one of the messages of the book is to get on the floor and play with your child, and some parents don't really enjoy that that much. They don't want to do the tea party. They don't want to do kind of the repetitive play that a lot of young children enjoy. But playing with blocks is something that a lot of parents do enjoy. Maybe they enjoyed it when they were children, or maybe they didn't have that much experience with it themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was a kid, girls were not as encouraged to play with blocks as boys. I My brothers had blocks, but I didn't have my own of blocks so i think a lot of adults i find this with teachers when i do teacher trainings with them and we have wooden blocks available they actually really enjoy constructing things with blocks too so i would say to parents you know this is something that you might enjoy this is something that might challenge you in some ways that you haven't been challenged in an ordinary day so get down on the floor and build something yeah
0: you know some of those those kits like legos and and uh, uh different kinds of things like that 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 Snap Together, Mega Blocks is another one. I mean, th- mm-hmm. I, th- I think those are wonderful in many ways, but they now come in kits for building a specific thing. And I remember when right. I had Legos as a kid, they, they, they didn't. You just got a box of them. And right. it was similar to what we're talking about with the wooden blocks, as you just, it was mm-hmm. up to your imagination. But it seems like when you're being given specific instructions on something, your imagination is being challenged in a different kind of way.
2: Yes. That's absolutely true. So the best kind of toy is the open-ended toy that can be used in lots of different ways, and um, especially with really young children when they're, when they're toddlers, when they're two and three years old, um, it's really great to have toys that had to have dolls and and people figures that look like them that look like the people they know so that their play reflects their own reality and then as they get older they'll become more interested in more fantastical um, uh, toys you know horses with wings and things like that and that's a natural part of the development of children's imaginations they're gonna wanna wanna get into some of those different kinds of stories um, but you can still get a basic uh, Lego brick set. You know, you walk into a toy store, the, the ones you're going to see first are the ones that are based on the latest TV show or the, the latest movie. But the, these toys do still exist. They're in, in the toy stores. They're in the toy catalogs. So it's, I, I encourage parents, to get a balance of toys for their children, everybody's going to hear from their kids that they want the latest thing. And you know, once in a while, a special birthday gift or something like that. There's th- those things aren't going to aren't going to harm your children. Oh, They're no, still no. creating stories. But as long as they have a few materials that are more open ended, that will challenge them to be creative, and then they'll be in good shape.
0: Well, that leads us into another topic, which is about pretend and make believe. Is mm-hmm. that that's also something that that there's so many kits and and plays that you can do with the kids but there's also just I think you know the the idea of just letting them alone to make up their own play or just as a parent just make up a story instead of I mean reading is fantastic but you can also use your imagination too
2: yeah yeah I mean with the really little kids they they want to pretend with their parents you know they'll say play with me you be you it's one of the funnest things I see is when a really little child tells the mommy, you know, you be the baby and I'll be the mommy. And they switch roles and pretend in, in the different roles. So that's that's really fun. And then in terms of like the, the, the play things that are going to encourage dramatic play, the best kind of dress up is the stuff that's already in your house. You don't have to go out and buy a bunch of, a, a set of dress-up clothes. And and speaking of open-ended, you know, a plain cloth, like a towel, will become a, a cape or it will come become a scarf. Um, you know, a spoon can be a magic wand. You know, the things that you already have in your house are terrific props for pretend play.
0: And do you suggest that there, there be any kind of limits on that? I mean...
2: Um, that's an interesting question. I... I don't think that there are a lot of limits um, that parents have to impose on pretend play, but I acknowledge that some parents are more comfortable with some kinds of play than others. And usually that comes up with older children around pretend play with weapons. Like um, in my day, it was pretending to be cowboys and you'd have your gun in your holster. But nowadays, you know, it's the lightsaber or other kinds of um, weapons that kids might want to pretend with. I'm pretty comfortable with that. I've had a lot of experience with kids. I see how it can be much healthier for a child to pretend play um, that they're a cowboy or that they're a magician with a lightsaber, um, to do those things and get out their energy and, and to, um, you know, ec- explore their imagination in that way. And I've seen how the afterwards they'll be calmer and they'll be more focused that that's an opportunity for children to kind of live out what's in their head already um, but I do recognize that some parents are not as comfortable with some kinds of pretend play, and you know, every family is going to have different rules about pretend play, about staying up at night, about how much time you can spend on the computer. You know, Parents should feel affirmed to make the decisions that they think are best for their children, but I, at the same time I would reassure them that pretend play is just pretend. It's not, it's not real life. It's not who your child is going to become. It's play.
0: Right. And I guess as long as it's safe and nobody's getting injured, then it's probably pretty good, or there shouldn't, yeah. shouldn't be any terrible problems with it. Yeah. I'm talking with Ann Gadzikowski, who is the author of Creating a Beautiful Mess 10 Essential Play Experiences for a Joyous Childhood. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Ann about a bunch of other things that I think are going to be really fascinating about play, having to do with just generally making messes and. Uh, sports and the connection between sports and obesity, which I want to talk about, too. We'll be right back. I'm Armin Brott, and you're listening to Positive Parenting. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armand Broad. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Ann Gautzikowski, who is the author of Creating a Beautiful Mess, Ten Essential Play Experiences for a Joyous Childhood. You know, I mentioned just before the break about sports and obesity, and I don't mean to suggest that, that there is a, a causal relationship between the two. I mean, kids are not becoming obese because of sports. But there has been a really interesting increase in the amount of kids who are doing organized sports and the scale of the obesity problem. And some people I've I've talked to have suggested that that might be because the play is so organized that it's not giving the kids what they need as far as actual exercise. What do you think about that? Because you talk about the importance of getting outside.
2: Yeah. Parents have a lot of concerns about um, their children's health in terms of active play and outdoor play because we know that in schools most schools children are not getting as much time for recess as as they have in the past and the reality is that we can't just open the door and let our children you know play outside in our neighborhoods for hours and then call them in at um, you know at supper time the way we might have when we were um, when we were children that there are some realities around um, children playing independently that we can't um, uh, do the same things that we did when we were kids at least in most neighborhoods so these th- these things exist um, but when parents become concerned that their children aren't getting enough um, active play um, and that they're not burning enough cal- calories they need to recognize that the children don't share those same concerns like you can't say to a child well you need to run around the playground five times because then you'll burn a hundred calories you know that's not going to motivate a child to go outside and play so in the book, I really encourage parents to t- go outside with your children. They do need supervision, so go outside with them, but give them opportunities to just wander and give them opportunities to climb and explore. Um, maybe um, you know, do some things that they wouldn't do in a, in a, in a uh, structured sports activity and I have noticed, I've noticed this and I've, I've read about it, that playground design is very different now than it was 50 years ago. When I was a kid, the slides were much higher, the climbing equipment was much more challenging. And now playgrounds are much safer, which is great, the, especially playground surfaces, the, um, the resilient, you know, bouncy materials that are at the, the bottom of the slide are much more protective to children. But the equipment is not as tall so children don't get as much natural challenge in terms of climbing, and and they need yeah. climbing experience from the time that they're very young.
0: <laughs> no, that's something I've been kind of on the warpath about for a long time. Is is not suggesting that kids need to break bones, but right. a couple of scrapes is not going to hurt anybody. And you know, it it's just it's it's frustrating to see these these playgrounds that have become kind of cocoons in a way. I mean, you you can bounce right. high and you. Off of the the rubber surface and and everything is <laughs> yes. is all perfectly painted so that there's and, and rubber coated and, and it just it just isn't as fun as my yeah, uh, to I me really... anyway of course I'm saying that as an adult.
2: Well, I think that's true, and um, I I really admire the model of adventure playgrounds, which you see a lot of in Europe because there aren't as many um, regulations related to liability, where children have big pieces of what we call loose parts, like um, old tires and planks and ropes and, and things that they can build their own play equipment out of. They can make their own zip line by hanging it from a branch of a tree. And these kinds of things in America we're not as comfortable with. We're not not as at ease with children taking these this kind of initiative. We're worried that they're going to hurt themselves. But adventure playgrounds are supervised also. So, um, you know, we can use that as a model to inspire us, to give kids opportunities to play in open-ended ways. So maybe they'll use the lawn furniture or maybe they'll um, – you know, use some old buckets from the garage, and they'll create an obstacle course in your backyard. So they need opportunities to do these kinds of spontaneous, open-ended things that they wouldn't get a chance to do if they were just going to soccer practice.
0: Well, let's talk about the item that's in the, in the title of the book, creating a beautiful mess. Right. Just getting filthy. What about that?
2: Yes. Exactly. Well, the name of the book comes from one of the essential play experiences. Chapter six is called Creating a Beautiful Mess, and that's the chapter about um, messy, gooey play like finger paints or Play-Doh or playing outside and making a mud pie or playing with sand um, or, or splashing around in the bathtub with bubbles. So this kind of sensory play, where children are um, learning about their world, they're actually learning about the properties of matter. They're learning about the difference between a liquid and a solid, and what happens when you mix water with with something that's that's made out of grains. And and you know how how much water does it take before it totally makes a spill and a mess? So these are, are really interesting experiments to children, and it's and it's fun too, it can be very soothing to children to play with these materials. So, um, so that chapter specifically talks about that kind of sensory play, but all play can be messy, as we know, and all play is really beautiful because children are expressing themselves and they're trying things that they, they might have not have tried before.
0: I guess with the messy play, there's also the the hidden lesson of, you know, you're going to have to clean this up at some <laughs> right. point. So, you know, to, to be careful what you're doing, but also, I mean, not not that you should limit it necessarily, but, you know, there there is a consequence to everything that you do.
2: Yeah, and, and the really messy play, you might just want to take that outdoors so you don't have to worry about your carpet so much. Um, oh, yeah. But in the kitchen, you know, giving children a little bit um uh... when my daughter was little and i was cooking i would give her a little bit of flour like dry flour and just a little pitcher of water and she would mix it you know mix a little bit and see how it was kind of tacky and and still really thick and then mix a little bit more and she would sit on the floor and do this while i was while i was cooking and it would make a mess there'd be some powdery flour they would get gooey it would get on her fingers but it wasn't that hard to clean up you know it's a tile floor um you know she can Put her hands under the sink and rinse off her fingers. So it, it was a really great experience for her, and it was a time that we could share together, too. You
0: know, when I started reading the book, I was looking at the chapters and going through them, and, and you know, they, they make sense about building with blocks and make believe and running around and things like that. Then there was one that I thought was unusual, and I couldn't figure out why I thought it was unusual, but it, it, I'm going to ask you about it anyway about turn taking games.
2: Ah, well, t- turn taking games is. Um, both the games that children play with each other usually outdoors like tag and red rover and things like that but it's also about board games and card games and the things that you might play with your family at, at, at a table um, and parents seem to be particularly interested at least the readers that i've talked to so far in the board games because it's something that they remember from when they were kids and i think it's hard to find a game that the whole family will enjoy playing together because traditionally the go-to American board game is Monopoly and a lot of people don't really enjoy playing monopoly that much it if you're gonna play a game of monopoly all the way through it takes a long time like if you really go to the end of the game that can be you know more than an hour actually i don't know anybody who's ever played an entire game of monopoly <laughs> so it's great to encourage parents to find a game that they would enjoy playing with their children or that siblings of different ages would enjoy playing together um, Traditional games like parcheesi or sorry, I remember those board games from from when I was a kid. Oh sure, but, but nowadays there are um, a, there's a trend in um, in board games towards Um, euro style strategy games like Ticket to Ride is one that's become really popular or Settlers of Catan and these are for older kids. These are strategy games where they're really making choices in their play. It's not just luck but these are fascinating games that families can play together. So I think it's reassuring to parents to know that there are things that they can play with their children as they get older. Um, That's an alternative to a video game or a computer game.
0: So if you had only one game that you could bring to the famous desert island, and, of course, you had somebody <laughs> to play it with, what would it be?
2: Um, well, the first thing that comes to my mind is Ticket to Ride because that's, that's something that I enjoy, um, and I've used it in the classes that I teach. And I don't know if you're familiar with Ticket to Ride. It's no. a fairly complex strategy game that adults can play, but it's very, also very attractive to children because it has these little train figures, um, of different colors, so even a even a, a young child, a five or a six year old, might enjoy sitting with the adults while they're playing and you know manipulating the little trains and putting them on the tracks. It also has the board itself. The American version of the board is a map of the United States, so you can find yourself on the map and you can talk about you know where the people you love live in other cities. Um, and so the children can be present and participating in whatever ways they can in this complex strategy game, and it's really visually appealing to them. So, um, you know, that's that's the game that comes to mind because okay. I, I've been really enjoying that one lately.
0: Great. Anne Gadzikowski is the author of Creating a Beautiful Mess, Ten Essential Play Experiences for a Joyous Childhood. Anne, thanks so much. Great to have you.
2: Oh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you.